dogs come in a room and go, there you are. And I really think deep down we're supposed to be dog-like people and come into a room and say, there you are. It's a much better encouraging thing. The title of the sermon today is Dogged Determination. And if dogs are anything, they are determined. Uh, we have a, a beagle named Hazel. We've had several beagles over the years. We love beagles. They're, they're incredibly focused. Hazel is the most single-minded animal on the face of the planet. I mean, beagles are all about food. They're all about following their nose. They, they won't come when you call because they might be on the scent of something. And, and the way you tell a beagle is you see its tail going down the park, uh, running away from you. They won't come back. They're focused on food. They're focused on following their, their nose. There's a, there's a reason that you see a lot of kind of chubby beagles out there is because they cannot regulate their eating. So sometimes you see beagles walking down the street and they're, they're pretty large because you can't just put out a bowl of food and they'll go, oh, I'm done. No, they, will be, they won't be done until the food is gone, no matter how much you put out there. So every day, very carefully regulated, four o'clock is feeding time. Uh, Hazel gets about three quarters of a cup of food and that's it. And about three o'clock every day, it becomes Snoopy time, supper time, little metal bowl, bang. It's like, in case you guys forget, about an hour from now is when I eat. Bang, dancing around, and then it's time to eat. It is the most glorious time possible and imaginative because she is absolutely single-minded, right? That's, that's what dogs do. They're, they're, they're like that. They, you know, we're, we're cooking in the kitchen. She just stares at the floor, right, hoping you'll drop something, waiting under the table, hoping you'll drop something, or, or you didn't give me that last crumb that was on your plate, right? And I know, and I'm going to wait here until you do because I know there's something on that plate. Or, or, or they can count. Hazel can count. If I go to the, to the cupboard and get out like three little treats and then give her one, it's like, you got more. And you give her another one. There's one more in your pocket. I know you got three. That's just how focused she is. And we're going to see a little bit later how that, that plays out in the sermon. Have you ever been in a place where you, you come home, had an incredibly long, strenuous day, and all you want to do is just stop, Right? You just want to kick back. And, and, and earlier in my, in my career, when I was uh, full-time as a, as a pastor for many, many years, and uh, for those of you visiting, I'm serving in an interim role here as you guys go through a search process. And you'd come home from, from a day of a Sunday morning especially, and those are very busy times, and maybe you've gone to lunch with somebody. And, and if you didn't know it, uh, sociologists, psychologists, physiologists say that, that the toll that um, giving a 40-minute, 45-minute motivational speech takes on your body and on your mind and your emotions is the equivalent of an eight-hour work day. And so you start doing multiple services and you get to the end of the day and you go, oh, I just want to relax. And, and especially during like the fall, you get home and you finish lunch and that means it's almost Bronco time usually. We're getting this close to it and you, you kick back in the recliner, you turn on the TV because in the football season, that's the best time of day on Sunday. No, 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 no. I mean, Sunday morning is great. But sitting back after the day and kicking that recliner back, turning on the Broncos and going, oh, And especially when my kids were a little younger, and now they're all grown, but when they were little, and it'd be that kind of long day, and right as you're settling in, you'd hear, Dad? Dad? Oh, yeah? I mean, I'll pretend I'm asleep. Or, honey? Okay, I'll be right there after you answer with the, oh. We have these times in life when we just want to stop. 
And we've been working through the book of Mark from the very beginning. We're working our way to the end. And we've seen that kind of play out with Jesus a few times and the disciples, right? They, they had been sent out. They've been on this activity. There's been all kinds of hustle and bustle going on as people have come and sought out Jesus more and more and more. Uh, we saw a few weeks ago that they just wanted to get away and all the people beat them to their destination, right? And then Jesus had to do more for them or people everywhere he goes clamors after him. And it's just saying they wanted to get away and get some rest. They wanted to stop but every time they tried to, something came up. And that happens again in our passage today. Well, let's just read it, and then we're going to get into it, because it's a very fascinating passage. Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 24 says, Jesus left that place, and, and we'll come back to what that place was in a bit, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is one of those stories that kind of messes with our perception of Jesus. I mean, it's easy to read it and we get to, oh, he'd gone, he'd gone to get away, he was in a new part of the, of the community, he went to Gentile territory, he was inside a house, and we read in other places he was wanting to get away, right? He was wanting to be by himself, and, and, and this woman came and interrupted him, and, and we can skip to the end where he took care of her daughter. But, but in the middle is this very troublesome part. Where we see this woman who came and she's begging Jesus to cast out the demon from her daughter. She had come and she was pleading with him. If we look at the version of the story in Matthew, it says that the disciples really said she was pestering them. And they came to Jesus and said, can you tell her to go away? She keeps bugging us. She was persistent. She kept going after it. And finally she gets in to see him. And she begs for Jesus to care for her daughter, to take care of her daughter, to heal her daughter, to cast out this unclean spirit. And Jesus basically looks at her and says, you're a dog. No, 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 that's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is the one who says, send the little children to me. And he, and he always stands in pictures like this. He didn't call anybody a dog. He, he didn't say, no, I'm giving this food to somebody else. You're, you're a dog. No, I'm begging you to help my daughter. And we've seen Jesus do way bigger things than this. We had a story a few weeks ago where he cast out legions, thousands of demons from this person. He, he just fed thousands of people with just a few little scraps of food. He, he, he's cast out demons. He's healed people. Anybody who came to him, it seemed like he did. Somebody just touched his clothes and that healed her. He, he did this woman who has a child in need. says, can you help me? And he says, you're a dog. What do you do with that? How do we wrestle through this, this passage, which has some very challenging words going on it? I mean, a few things we need to keep in, in mind. And this is one of the great things about doing a series on a whole book, is that there's so much going on context-wise that if we don't grasp, we will miss the point of this story. So in reality, we have to go back a couple of weeks to catch up. And let me remind you of a few things that have gone on, right? Uh, we had the story, and I referenced it briefly, where Jesus and his disciples had gone across the lake to get away, and, and all the crowd got there ahead of them, right? 
And, and Jesus looked on them and had compassion. Remember he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. We talked a lot about what a shepherd was in that culture. And the disciples saw not just a need, they saw a problem that needed to be solved. And they said, it's getting late, let's send the people out to the surrounding towns and villages and they can go buy something to eat. And Jesus looked at them and said, you give them something to eat. Remember? And then he took their meager offerings of five loaves and two fish and he said he, he broke them and he gave a blessing. And the traditional blessing would have been he, he would have bowed over that food and, and prayed the prayer, blessed, O Lord, Blessed art thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who causes food to come forth from the earth, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. In this scenario, it was different. He, he lifted the bread towards heaven and said this blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And we get this image that something different is going on in this prayer. Jesus is saying something about himself that, that is different. And then he took this bread and they miraculously fed what we probably figured was close to 10,000 people. If you look at men and women and children. And what's interesting in, in following that story, then he sent the disciples off uh, to go across the other side of the lake. Once again, you guys need to get away for a while. And he stayed on shore. And, but then he saw them struggling against a wind. They were, they were going nowhere fast. And, and so it said he walked out to them on the water. And we discovered in that passage that it wasn't just he's going to kind of beat them to the other side and to the shore, but more he wanted to reveal to them who he was. And there was this great Old Testament image going on of, of God passing by, God showing them who he was. And he, by doing that, he's saying, I am God. And, and then they didn't get it. They were afraid. So he, he turned and said to them in Greek, the equivalent of the Hebrew statement, I am. He walked on the water. He, he passed by. He said, I am. He's trying to show them who he was, and they didn't get it. And then there was this curious little phrase in that passage that said, they didn't get it. They were terrified. Why? Because they didn't understand about the bread. They didn't understand about the loaves. And we went, huh, that, that, that's odd. And we discovered it's, they didn't grasp who he was when he was making this statement about himself. They didn't get it. They didn't understand that he's saying, I am the bread, I am life. And then last week's message, they, they left that scenario and he had this encounter with the Pharisees, right? Who, who were very upset with him that when his disciples came from the marketplace, they didn't wash the right way. They didn't ritually cleanse themselves the right way. So they were unclean. And we saw that the Pharisees had a very different view of cleanliness and uncleanliness, purity and impurity than Jesus did. They had rules that said you are pure if you put yourself in a little fence of holiness and don't let anything in. Their goal was to not get dirty. It was to stay clean. Whereas Jesus says holiness breaks down walls and transforms everything it touches. He, he turned their whole view of holiness and cleanliness upside down. And so now we have Jesus going to this place called Tyre. Not tired, Tyre. Which, which was part of the larger kingdom, but this was Gentile territory. In other words, I think his traveling there, he, he was putting his money where his mouth was in front of the disciples who had just said, this is what cleanliness is. Purity is not a matter of not touching something. It's about going out and transforming things in the name of God. And so they went to this place where not only were there dirty things to touch and unclean things, but just the people themselves were considered unclean in the eyes of the Hebrew people. And so he went there, the, the dirtiest of dirty places, to interact with people. And he said he went to a home. And then, and then we learned some other interesting things in here. And we'll bring this context to, to bear in just a bit. Uh, this woman, we're learning more about him, her. It says that she was Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia and, and that she was in Tyre. 
This was not just a statement of saying, here's this Gentile woman. But instead it's saying, by being entire and being of the descent she was, this, this is giving us a hint that she was probably someone of status. She was probably someone of wealth and privilege. Uh, and she was also living in Tyre, which was kind of an alley, who, who they saw each other kind of as enemies, as combatants. See, Tyre was a place of great affluence, and, and a lot of what they did was they purchased or they owned land in Galilee where they would get the crops, and there were huge warehouses and storehouses in Tyre, but a lot of the food never made it back to Galilee. So, so there's a person of privilege and class, and there was a, a socioeconomic thing, socio-political thing going on between Galilee and Tyre. And so not only was this a Gentile, she was really like the enemy. And now she's come before Jesus, and she's begging him for something. And, and he makes this statement, well, first, we feed the children. And, and on one level, we say he's making just a factual statement. If we go way back in our church history, in our, in our Hebrew history, in the Old Testament, God came to Abraham and said, through you, I'm going to call a people. I'm going to have a people that are chosen by me. And then through that people, all the world will be blessed. And so when Jesus came on his mission, Jesus, God become man, he states at the beginning of Mark, he was here saying, repent and believe the good news the kingdom is at hand. This, this kingdom of, of coming first to the Jew and then to the rest of the world was part of why Jesus was here. And so this statement of first, let the children eat, was a factual statement. That's why he came. That was the, the picture of his mission, was to come first to the chosen people and then to the rest of the world. But, but in the middle of it, we have this woman. Who, who makes this statement. He says, first let the children eat all they want. He told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Chances are this is a term she's heard before because uh, there was a, I'm saying these are enemies, these, these two different groups of people, and the Jewish people would refer to Gentiles as dogs, the dog Gentiles, and, and, and the Gentiles had similar words going back to the Jewish people. So she probably heard that kind of thing. But then she makes this statement. She says, yes, Lord, you're right. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. So what do we do with this, this story? How do, how, do we, how do we land in this for us? How do we understand it? How do we wrestle through it? Because it's, it's an odd one. I say on one level, this was an opportunity for Jesus to teach his disciples something and to grow their faith. He had just talked about the difference between clean and unclean. It's not what you touch. It's not what you eat. It's what's in the heart. And now he's out there in this place that's full of, in their minds, uncleanliness. And he says, I'm tearing down that wall. I've torn down that wall. But not completely yet, because what? The mission is first to the Jews and then to the rest of the world. One of the things I think we wrestle with in this story or that we can learn is that God may use, sometimes God may use stumbling blocks to draw out our faith. In this situation, there's this really kind of scandalous thing in our mind where Jesus refers to this woman and basically calls her a dog. And so at first we look and go, well, what does that mean? That's not the friendly Jesus I know who's going to help everyone. And so people have thought, well, what does he mean by dog? And so there have been ideas to say, just soften a little. Like when Jesus said this, he called her a dog. It was kind of with a twinkle in his eye. Like, you're just a little dog. But I'm going to help you. Well, no, she, she's heard this term before about her people. They're called dogs. A dog's a dog. There's no twinkle in the eye. I'm not giving you food now. You're a dog. 
Others have said, well, the, the, the actual Greek word there is for little dog, and it is, and so they're saying, this is like a cute little puppy. First we give the, to the children, then to the little puppies. No, a dog's a dog. And, and there was no concept of cute little puppies then. That was not kind of like our culture, where sometimes we spend more on our dogs than on taking care of the rest of our family, where, where, the, where the puppy is like a member of the family, and it's this cute little thing, and we'll do anything for our puppy. That was not the culture. The culture then, there were dogs, there were mongrel dogs that roamed in packs through the streets of the villages, and there was an idea of pets, but they weren't cute little puppies, and they would be allowed in the house. There were pets, but they weren't the way we think of it. And so when we think of little dogs, we have to get out of our mind that this is some term of endearment. In fact, we have to let the scandal of how Jesus interacted with this woman stand. We, we have to let it, we have to sit there and go, he looked at her uh, either from the perspective of my mission is first to my chosen people and, and then there'll be something else for the rest of the world. We have to let that stand. And in that moment, he said, she's a dog. We, we have to let that stand. Just as in all of our lives, we really have to accept and live in the scandal of who Jesus is and live in the scandal of Christianity because it is scandalous. In the minds of all the world and throughout history, it is scandalous. The fact that God became a man. God was born as a baby in a little know-nothing part of the world. That's scandalous. And the fact that a God would be put to death by people, that is scandalous. And the fact that the way we come closer to God is by trusting that what Jesus did was enough and that I don't have to earn something, that's scandalous because all religion across time has been about how do you achieve something or how in some realms do you even become your own God. That's, that's what it's been about, but Jesus is different. Following Christ is different and it's scandalous. And, and we have to go ahead and live in that scandal. In this case, the scandal and the stumbling block was that he called her a dog. He said, you're not one of the ones I come to first. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what would have offended us? I mean, what he said to her was offensive. What would offend us? And I'm pretty certain if I was in this situation and I had seen and heard about the amazing things that Jesus had done, all the healings and the casting out of demons and the speaking and teaching with authority, say, wow, this is my chance. He's done this for so many. I have to get help from my daughter. And you go before him and I say, Jesus, can you help my daughter? And he says, you're a dog. I would stand up and say, I don't need that. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find or make up another God who doesn't offend me. How dare you treat me that way? I deserve more. I am special. I think that's how we tend to react to things that don't go our way. But this stumbling block somehow drew out her faith. And there are things that would keep us away from what God wants to do. God may use stumbling blocks to draw out our faith. And what I think we see from this woman and her response, her attitude in the face of this refusal is the key to the whole story. You see, a vibrant life with Christ would reflect how this woman was. And that vibrant life with Christ requires a bold and persistent humility. 
And that's probably not the word you thought I was going to say. We think of bold and persistent and assertive faith or trust or action or commitment. And this, this is a bold and assertive and persistent humility. Look, look how the response was. He says, first, we give it to the children. Are we going to take the bread that was for the children and give it to the dogs? And her response was, you're right. You're right. I am a dog. You're right, I'm not, I'm not part of the group that you came to first. But you said first. And if you say first, that means there's something else. That means there's a hope. That means there's a possibility something else could happen. You said first, and I'm banking on the fact that it doesn't have to be at a separate time because when the children eat, things fall on the floor. You see, what I think is going on here is this woman was the very first person to understand something about the bread. Remember, the disciples didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't see that he was the bread of life. They didn't see that he was God, no matter how much he did it. Only God brings forth bread from the earth. Only God walks on water. I am, I am I am God, and they didn't get it. But this woman grasped something, and we're going to see this bread motif play out really through the rest of the book of Mark. Something about the bread. And so even when the children eat, the dogs get what falls to the floor. And she's really saying, and just a crumb is all I need. That's enough. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. She recognized something about Jesus in her answer. This was not just a bantering back and forth. Hey, you don't give it to the dogs. Hey, but even the dogs get what the kids drop on the floor. No, this was not like one-upping banter, clever patter. This was an absolutely profound statement. She grasped something about Jesus that nobody else had gotten yet. And for that answer, go home, your daughter is healed. Because she grasped something about Jesus that nobody else had. She got something about the bread. In the face of refusal is the key to the story. See, she accepts that she's unacceptable. But that does not mean she's a doormat. No, she assertively and aggressively still sought help. And she would not be turned away in her humility. And in a lot of ways, we've met this woman before through some other characters. She's, she's a lot like those, those four friends that cut through the roof where Jesus was teaching and lowered their friend down. She's a lot like them. I'm going to do whatever it takes. You don't owe me anything, Jesus, but I'm doing whatever it takes. She's a lot like that woman who had the, the disease, the blood disease for like 12 years and, and had just basically seen quack doctors and, and had never had any help. And she was at her last hope, her last penny. And, and she reached out and just touched his clothes. And that, that healed her. And her, so her faith made her well. She's like, a lot like Jairus, the, the, the affluent leader of the church whose daughter was really, really sick and dying. And then eventually she did die, but he kept persisting. He kept going after Jesus. No matter what happened with the crowd, no matter what obstacles got in his way, he kept pursuing. And Jesus raised his daughter. But here, the stumbling block was something that Jesus put in front of her. And we've seen him do that with other people. He's face to face said to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Later on, he said, you're, you're whitewashed tombstones. He, he said, you're like dogs, you're like foxes. And he, he's willing to do that to draw out faith. And in this context, as we get in her attitude, it's absolutely what it is. I think it's a fascinating picture. 
that, that she understood something about the bread, that she, that she know that even if he is here first for his chosen people, that being close to him is enough. The, the crumbs are going to fall because that's what happens when children eat. Crumbs fall to the floor. I remember the, the time when I was younger and had a couple of jobs waiting tables at restaurants, and I always dreaded when you'd go out to your area and say, oh, it's like an 18-month-old in a high chair. Because that knew when they left, you were just going to have Cheerios and stuff everywhere. Because when they eat, it's... And stuff just goes, and the dog's under the table. If they were there, it would be, yes! Because that's what our, there's a reason our dog waits under the table. Because something's going to drop. That's the reason she waits while we're cooking, because something is going to drop. She's determined. She has gotten, she's going nowhere because we go, what, you're waiting, that was just a crumb. Yes, but it was a crumb. And I got it. And that's kind of what this is. This is what it is. You are the bread of life. To the degree she understood it, you are different. You are God. And just being close enough because of who you are is all I need. What a story. She came in faith. In the the Matthew version it says she came in faith. And she left in faith. Notice Jesus didn't say, hey, I'll go with you and we'll make sure she's okay. No, he says, go. Your daughter is well. And she went in faith. Why? Because she knew he was the bread. She knew he was life. And she came in persistent humility to accept it. You don't owe me anything. But just being near you changes everything. I guarantee you that we will walk away from God and his mission unless we are desperate for ourselves and desperate for others. We, we will look and say, I don't need this. You put a stumbling block up and I don't like it. You should treat me with more respect, God. So I'm out of here. But she didn't. And her response needs to be our response. There's an old saying that says, pride stiffens the knees and muzzles our voices. This woman had knees that bent. She, she fell before Jesus. The one who owed her nothing was says, being near to you is all that matters. Is that our perspective in life? Being, being near to Jesus is all that matters. Just a crumb is all I need. Well, if we go through life that way, that, that changes everything. That, that changes how we show up in the community. As opposed to what often happens is we show up in the community and say, we're the ones who get it right. You should listen to us and be more like us. As opposed to, you know, I, I, I'm owed nothing, but I'm near to Jesus and that changes everything. And, and I want to care for you. I want to live life with you. I want to see your life transformed by Jesus. It takes letting go of our pride and living with persistent and bold humility which takes bending our knees, which takes listening with spiritual ears, which takes recognizing that Jesus is God. Who walks on water? God does. Who produces bread from nothing? God does. Who, who shows up in the middle of these situations and, and uses a stumbling block to grow our faith? God does. Let us live in bold humility. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It, it is indeed a challenge again. It, this story paints such a different picture 
one that we probably hesitate to enter into. Because we see the picture of the one who, who always welcomes, who always opens arms, and that is a picture of who you are. Yet, yet, yet sometimes, like in this instant, you used a stumbling block and, and, and called things kind of what they were in that moment. And in so doing, this woman's faith grew, and, and, and she revealed that she knows who you are in a way nobody else had. And it, and it came because of her humility. It came because her, her knees could bend. Father, help us be people who, who, whose knees bend in prayer throughout life, throughout every day. Help us be people that, that in the scandal of, of who you are and how you have chosen to work, help us revel in that scandal. Help us see that scandal for what it is and allow that to grow our faith. Help us come before you with bended knee and, and, and an honest heart and a mind open to how you're going to work. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for its impact on us today and its implications for our everyday life. We pray in Jesus' name.